the passage that we're going to read, you'll find in your bulletin there, uh, beginning with verse 34, chapter 10, but, and we just don't have time to read the whole of it, but we really need to at least have a little understanding of what comes at this, uh, up to bring us to this point, because we're going to read here what Peter said to these Gentiles on the coast, in the coastal town of Caesarea, um, but we need to find out how he got there. And, and here's the problem at the outset. Uh, this wasn't the way his mom and daddy raised him, right? This wasn't the way the Jewish community raised him. And if you're in Alabama, it would sound something like this. He ain't supposed to be there with them Gentiles. He ain't. Why, he is there in, uh, with them. Jews ain't supposed to have such dealings with Gentiles, going to their houses, eating their meals, and fellowshipping with them like their family. How'd that ever happen, right? It's kind of the feel of this uh, as you read it. Uh, how did this get there, you know, in verse 34? And so it only happened because, as I've put it, the Lord basically hit Peter over the head with a revelation two by four, okay? That's what he had to do. And here's what happened from Peter's perspective. He's praying, and he gets this vision of a giant sheet. It's got all these animals in it. A lot of them are unclean. The animals you are forbidden to eat in the Jewish law, in the law of Moses. And this voice comes to him, and we're back in Alabama, and it's basically this. Peter, get yourself up, kill you something, and have it for dinner, right? And that was the thought here. And Peter, of course, had a visceral reaction. No, no, I've never put unclean thing in my mouth. And the voice comes back and says, what the Lord says is unclean, don't ever call it unclean again. So he's sitting there trying to figure out this vision, unheard of vision, really. And the Spirit says, these three guys are going to come, and they want you to go with them, and don't you even think about it, you go. And sure enough, right at that point, they call to him at the gate. Peter goes down, you know, what's up? And they said, look, there's this centurion. Uh, his, his name is Cornelius. He lives up in Caesarea. And angel appeared to him and said, we're supposed to come get you and bring you back to hear you speak to us. So he takes six of his fellow Jews for Jesus, right? These are all circumcised at this point, and they go to Caesarea. And apparently on the way, Peter begins to put two and two together, like this, this appearance of the sheet with these animals, nothing's unclean, and then he's doing what had been a very unclean thing to go with the Gentiles. So he's putting two and two together, and when he gets there and meets Cornelius, sees the crowd, says to all of them, you know how unlawful it is for a Jew to be here with you guys. And they all did. It's like, you know, you, when he walks in, it's almost like a hush goes over and says, we're in the room with a Jew. <laughs> and he's not freaking out. You know, it's just, this, how did this happen? What's going on here? Um, and, but he says, God has shown me that I must regard no person as unclean. Well, there you go. God didn't say anything about people, but he did say something about 
the animals. And so, you see, these clean and unclean animals were like an elementary school lesson for the Jews all along. Clean and unclean animals constantly reminded them and trained them to avoid the unclean idolatry of the Gentiles. And it also cushioned them from Gentiles because they couldn't participate in their meals, right? Because they couldn't eat their food in that way. So this had a physical effect of keeping them separate, uh, keeping them away from idolatry. The idea is you, you have to have dealings with uh, Gentiles, but don't any drink with them, don't associate with them, don't get close to them, because if you do, you're going to become like them. Uh, you're going to get sucked into their idolatry, and we know the nation did over and over and over again. So, um, the, to clean and unclean animals, teach them clean and unclean people uh, in this regard. But now the Lord is basically saying in his providence, and, and having to connect the dots here, I still call you to be holy, but I give you power through the Holy Spirit to mix it up with the Gentiles. It's going to be different from now on. Whereas before, you were guarding yourself against the international peer pressure of the Gentiles. Now you will be the peer pressure into all the Gentiles. That's the change. A major, major turning point in the people of God. Not in a protection mode, which was necessary because of the weakness of the people of God, but now through the holy, power of the Holy Spirit, you are the, um, the power. You are the peer pressure. So, you could say Peter has at least gotten to middle school, um, that he may and must associate with Gentiles, but he still has no idea what's coming. And it's about to happen here. So after Cornelius, Peter gets there, tells him this thing, and, and Cornelius uh, tells about the angel that appeared to him. Cornelius says, verse 33, we're all here in the presence of God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. So, verse 34, okay? This brings us to the event, the event of his uh, proclamation. So Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. As for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. You yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee after the baptism that John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree but God raised him up on the third day and made him to appear, not to all the people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. To him, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. While Peter was still saying these things, 
the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. For they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter declared, Can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked him to remain for some days. Now before we go on to the report, which is that next shorter section, this This event, outpouring of the Holy Spirit, as Peter is speaking, this has the feel. I'm not saying this is literally what the Holy Spirit said, but it has this feel of the Spirit saying, I'm not waiting any longer. You know, it's like he's preaching, I'm going to do this now, you know. Just the, the sheer joy and exuberance of God in this historic move to embrace all the peoples of the world. This is is a glorious, joyful event right here. Uh, It's as though he maybe had anticipated this for 1,500 or 2,000 years, however you date the Old Testament, since he announced to Abraham that all the nations would be blessed through the offspring of Abraham. And here it is that they are blessed in Jesus. Maybe better even to say, it has always been on God's heart to bless the nations because he set his love on people from every tribe, tongue, and nation before the foundation of the world. That means he's always set his love on all the people of the world. Always. And now you get a sense of this, this eternal love that's now getting to pour itself out through the Holy Spirit on these Gentiles. Now, he's drawing them to himself. Now, he's beginning this eternal fellowship with them that will never end. It's really overwhelming to see this energetic God, you might say, this eager God, uh, because Normally, as Peter did before, he would address what they need to do to believe and, and you know, these things. And nope, now. I got I to have them now. You know, there, there's that feel about it. Now, I've given this illustration years before, but when, uh, when in the movie, when William Wallace was at his own father's funeral, this little girl from the village came up to him after his uh, they'd said everything and everybody was breaking up. She came up to him, gave him a flower. And then William Wallace, because his dad had been murdered, uh, goes off with his uncle and is trained and educated and comes back to this village. <clears throat> and he starts courting that same girl who's grown up to be a beautiful woman. And in the first few encounters, he gives her this handkerchief and he rides off, and she unfolds the handkerchief, and it's the dried flower that she gave him. Now, illustration breaks down in several ways, but don't lose this basic part, that when God draws us to himself, 
he basically hands us a dried flower saying, I've always loved you. I've always loved you. And you see, there's an exuberant, there's a joy in this. There's an excitement on God's part. It, the Old Testament speaks of his rejoicing over us and shouting over us. I, I can't fathom it. But it encourages me that God is eager in this way. And so I see God's joyful love for all people of the earth in this, you might say, running embrace of Cornelius and his friends. And I see also in the parable of Jesus, I see again the father's love as he runs down the road to embrace his son. And here's God running, running to embrace these Gentiles. And brothers and sisters, this event is why you believe in Jesus. He was coming after you in this way. He's that exuberant toward you. He did this. He hit him over the uh, head by Revelation 2 by 4 because he loves you and was going to have you. So be encouraged. Then he gives this report. But before we hear the end part of this report, um, in the first part of this chapter 11, we read that the report that the Gentiles had believed went out to everybody everywhere. The church all over Judea, Jerusalem. These people in Jerusalem knew Gentiles had believed. So you'd think that when they go to Jerusalem, as they give their full report, everyone would be saying, praise God, the Gentiles have believed in Jesus Christ. The Gentiles have received the Holy Spirit. You know, you'd think that was going to be the response, but no. There was a group Luke calls the circumcision party. And believe me, hanging around the circumcision party was no party, if you know what I mean, right? <clears throat> they say, the first words out of their mouth, you were with Gentiles. And then, I love this, you ate with them. You know, you just feel their, dis their dis disgust over this unholy thing that they did. Now, it's not just that they were prejudiced, but they still didn't get it. You know, they, they still had a Jewish Old Testament understanding of we've got to stay clear of idolatry. But still, you want to say, really? That's your takeaway from this? The Holy Spirit falls on the Gentiles, and you're concerned that he was even eating with them? Of course, we're like that, right? We're way like that. Not enthusiastic and joyful over the things we should be, but focused on so many other things. <clears throat> Peter, obviously, was not the only one that needed the two-by-four, and we need the two-by-four as well. But he's incredibly patient as he explains how the Lord miraculously brought him to Caesarea. And here, in the last part, he tells them, as I began to speak, he even puts it, as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them just as on us at the beginning. He's talking about Pentecost. And he came down, same kind of thing happened. Uh, and I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If then God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I should stand in God's way? 
When they heard these things, they fell silent, and they glorified God, saying, Then to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads to life. And I love that statement, who is I that I could stand in God's way? Reminds me of somebody, you know, I'm going to st- he's standing on the tracks, freight train's coming at 60 miles an hour, and he's like, no, I don't think so, you know, as it just bowls him over. Uh, can you imagine coming to God and saying, you know, I don't know what you're up to, but you don't need to be sending the Holy Spirit to Gentile. Oh, well, I guess you can't. You know, what can you do? You're watching the sovereign God act and do what he's chosen to do. He said, how how could I hinder God? How could I stand in the way of this? We're watching God. This is a message from God to us. This is the way it's going to be. These are my people, don't you see? Just like you are my people. So it's a word from God, but it's a an action word, right? By his action, he's revealing the way uh, the new situation is going to be. And I love, they fell silent. You know, they they shut their mouth. What could they say? I'm sure they were, you know, caught with, wow, look look what this is happening. Uh, Look how God is acting. And then they, of course, say he's granted repentance to them like he did to us. And notice he recalls at the first of Acts, Jesus reminded them that John baptized with water. Now, when John would say it, he says, uh, I baptize with water, but the one that's coming will baptize with the Holy Spirit. Well, Jesus recalls that in Acts chapter 1. And actually, he, he puts it this way, before many days, you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And that's what, that's what Peter's referring to here. Um, and so, Jesus is saying, he baptized with water. And that baptism he, baptism he talked about, the one that's going to baptize you in the Spirit, that's about to come up. That's about to happen. In a few days, it's going to be poured out. And of course, in Acts 2, you can read, as the Holy Spirit is poured out on, on the church. And what Peter is saying here is, Pentecost was the pouring out of the Holy Spirit, and this is the pouring out of the Holy Spirit. Just like he did on Pentecost in Jerusalem, Jewish Jerusalem, he did in, in Gentile Caesarea in the same way. No difference in, in, in its basics. And so this is really an extension, and it's to show that every privilege of Jewish believers, Gentile believers have. Every intimacy with God that Jewish believers in Jesus have, Gentile believers have. So the law of Moses is not defining the people of God. It's those who trust in Christ, those who have the Holy Spirit. Those are God's people. The Spirit is the new temple, and the people are the new temple of God. So in recalling this statement... He's saying what the exalted Messiah poured out in Jerusalem, he poured out in Caesarea. So, as we close, a few takeaways here. Um, The first is just this exuberance and joy that the Holy Spirit has. Do we have this at the prospect of any kind of person believing in Jesus, and becoming a part of our fellowship? 
Or do we have like these gradations, you know, of the kind of people we would like to see here? Is it that we want anyone, regardless of race or class, to be drawn to Jesus Christ and to become a part of our fellowship and to be in our homes, etc.? Racism and classism are acts of disgust and denial and rebellion against the joy of the Holy Spirit. He is joyful in his reaching out to all peoples of the earth. Are we? And even as we maybe are convicted in ways about this, be encouraged, that same spirit dwells in you. That same spirit will bring that kind of joy in your heart so that you will want anyone and everyone to come to Christ and to be a part of our fellowship. Now, that's kind of in a narrow thing about, you know, having to do with race and class. But in a more general way, a second thing we can ask, do we have the exuberance and joy of the Holy Spirit in the work of evangelism? in the work and hope of evangelism. This is God's heart that we see. This is, this is God's great action to bring these Gentiles to himself. We have to ask ourselves, do I have that heart? I recently started reading a, a great book that Kay came across. It's written uh, about funerals and food basically in the delta of Mississippi, okay? And it's, it's very humorous and just about the ins and outs and what it's like to what happens at a funeral and what things are important and not important and just crazy, crazy things that go on. I love the title, Being Dead is No Excuse, okay? <laughs> so he gives this example of one family because he's talking about how Nothing can please people, and they ask for the strangest things. They ask for a photographer to take a picture of their dead mother in the coffin. All right? I know this is a little gruesome. Um, and the photographer himself, you know, he wants to make money and all, but he's like, are you sure? You know, I mean, I, he was real squeamish. And they said, no, I want you to take a picture. Well, he takes these pictures and shows them to him. <laughs> Excuse me, I love the reaction. They were very, very disappointed with the pictures. And one brother was quoted as saying, she doesn't look very happy. And you think, yeah, because she was dead, right? That's just, that's just one example of, you know, being dead is no excuse. <clears throat> but I thought of this and I thought, if, if God took our spiritual picture would he see that we're dead or would he see that we're alive with joy for people to come to know Christ what, what would our picture look like and again this is only something God can do in your heart you can't manufacture it you can't like you know do some exercise or whatever. We put ourselves in the way of Jesus by his word and prayer. But he has to do this. And he will because we have the spirit that longs for the salvation of people. And then finally, 
he speaks of repentance unto life. And this means not just repentance from sin, which it is, because the more we turn from sin, the more we walk in life. It's the way it is. Sin is deadly to us. And the more we free ourselves, the more fulfilling and enriched we are as human beings. But it means repentance from everything that stands in the way of your receiving the forgiveness of Jesus. Repentance of your doubts. Repentance of your pride. Repentance of your fears. Repentance of your own works being a way to get to God. Repentance of your own agenda for your life. Turn, don't let anything stand in the way of the life that you can have in Jesus Christ. The forgiveness that we see. Because, as Peter said, he's been raised to be the judge of the living and the dead. Will you receive forgiveness from this Christ as he's offered to you? Or will something stand in your way and you must be judged by this Lord. He is Lord. He is Lord. And so I'm just urging you, if you haven't trusted Christ, don't let anything stand in the way. Give yourself to him. And the even further encouraging thing is that we sometimes say, well, I just don't know if I can believe. I don't, I don't know if I can repent or keep repenting or believe like I should or repent like I should. And verse 18 says what? He's been exalted to grant repentance. He gives you everything that you need to come to him. It's a great hymn we sing that um, true belief and true repentance, every grace that brings you nigh, that, that brings you near to God, come to Jesus Christ and buy without money. See? He brings everything to the table. We bring nothing. And we receive from him everything. And that helps you and me to be just like the blind man and say, I'm helpless. I'm fixed in my sin. I'm fixed under judgment. Oh, Lord, have mercy on me. And that's what I'm urging you to do. Just cry out. Lord, give me repentance. Give me faith. Give me everything I need. I bring nothing. I have nothing. Well, then you have the prospect then of trusting in Christ and knowing the exuberant joy of the Holy Spirit. Let us pray. Lord, bless us. <clears throat> bless us to be your people, to know your joy, to live in repentance, to know your favor and forgiveness. Bless us, O oh Lord, to manifest your grace in our lives. For Jesus' sake, amen.